verse 18 through 19, I want to continue on this topic of authority. The greatest gift that God has ever given to mankind was the restoration of our authority, our heavenly position in the world. And Jesus said, I beheld Satan, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. So the, the devil wasn't dragging his heels and kind of, you know, trying to hang on to his position. The Bible says like lightning, he was shot out of heaven. Jesus came through the gates and the Bible says the accuser was cast out. Hallelujah. When they lifted up their heads, welcomed the king of glory. Hallelujah. And the angels declared, now has come salvation. Now has come the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. Hallelujah. And the accuser shall be cast out and his voice shall not be heard in heaven. I wish every Christian knew this truth that the devil is not talking about you before God. And God has not listened to one accusation of Satan in over 2,000 years because Satan can't get his voice up before God. Heaven is filled with the voice of the intercessor who ever lives to make intercession. The blood of Jesus is speaking on our behalf. And that's what the Father listens to from heaven. And that should encourage you when you pray. So Jesus says to his disciples, kind of looking forward several days, and he says, I beheld Satan like lightning fall, so I want you to behold that I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk on, and, and a better translation of that is stomp, which shows deliberate walking on stomping among snakes and scorpions and crush them. I love that. Praise the Lord. Because in the world today, we are walking among serpents and scorpions. That's what has our, our loved ones and our friends bound in darkness. They're unsaved, just like we were. Those scorpions and serpents are, are just references to demonic powers. And Jesus said, let me tell you how I deal with demonic powers. You've seen me going from village to village and casting out devils and raising the dead and all this stuff. He said, let me tell you, the operation's going to stay the same, but the center of operation is going to change because when I go, my mantle of authority is going to come on you. You're going to stomp. This is how I'm going to deal with the devil over the next couple thousand years is I'm going to give you the authority that I gained that cast Satan out of heaven because I expect you to walk on the enemy's head. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I know I was, I was kind of hearing a little bigger shout when I was thinking about that, bringing it this morning, but that's all right. So what I want to do today is I'm going to take five points from the past several weeks, five major points that we've made. I just, I'm not going to re-preach them. I, I just want to bring your attention to them, and I'm going to give you a couple, maybe two, how do I do this, pieces of advice. Because look, we can get up and share truth like this, no matter how true it is, no matter how awesome it is, and it's worthless if you can't get out there on Monday and do it. If you can't do this Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, if, you're, if you've been listening to this message, these messages, and if it hasn't elevated your prayer life, elevated your faith, elevated your behavior, because you are, you are being uh, moved and you're understanding your authority and you're operating in it, then we're wasting our time. So I, I don't want to waste my time. I'm going to go back, bring up these five things, and then share with you a couple of this is how you do it. So number one, the first point that I want to bring up that we've talked about is what I call the chain of command. It's a military term, chain of command. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm, guys and ladies, know exactly what I'm talking about. But when we talk about the chain of command, uh, we're going to be talking about you maintaining your personal authority. Now, <clears throat> the authority of sonship is the most consequential gift that God has given to man. Receiving Jesus as your Lord and Savior places you in God's chain of command. Between heaven and earth, you are in that chain of command. Every Christian should live in the grip of that reality. Every Christian needs to trade in their church mentality for a, I am a soldier in the chain of command between heaven and earth. I'm under Jesus' authority and his authority flows through me as I obediently walk under that command chain. 
Amen. So the centurion, we all know the story of the centurion. Come, heal my servant. Jesus said, I'll come. And then he says, I'm not worthy. You should come to my house. Speak the word only. The centurion's concept of faith causes Jesus to call it the greatest example of faith he had ever seen. And he wasn't even Jewish. And the reason he said it's the greatest example of faith that I've ever seen is because it was faith based in the authority, accountability paradigm of the chain of command. I complain up the chain, I don't complain down the chain. I have authority with the stewardship that's been put under me because I am walking in the stewardship that's over me. Jesus is Lord over me and over my life, and I'm careful to walk in that chain of command. And that's what is the basis of my faith, the centurion said. Jesus said, now that's real faith. That's what faith is all about. It's about authority. Jesus offered us, when we became born again, children of God, what did he give us? He gave us unfettered access to his word and to his spirit through the authority of sonship. Everything we have as Christians is an expression of authority. We have a very grace-conscious view of the gospel today. And that's wonderful. Grace is all over the Bible. And I'm going to talk about grace in a couple more of these points because we have a little bit of a misconception about grace. But grace is an expression of authority. Everything in the kingdom is about the authority of Jesus Christ bringing salvation back to the earth. Early on as a Christian in my walk with him, I learned that every confrontation in life, every confrontation is a struggle over my authority. Everything I come up against, every trial, every contest that I enter into is a struggle to get control of my authority. That's the way I see it. And allowing my personal authority to be forcibly surrendered to an oppressor dynamically changes me from a free man to a slave. Would to God that Christians realized that God has given you authority to maintain your freedom. And every time an oppressor, some spirit comes at you through a flat tire on the road or bad news in the mailbox or whatever it might be or someone who doesn't like you that's supposed to like you. Whatever these things are that come at us, they're there to take your authority, to get you to surrender your authority. If you see it that way, if you walk strategically and tactfully in your faith, then you will see every challenge that you come up against from a military's perspective. You'll realize that the government's sitting on Jesus' shoulders and that his kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy can only occur when his authority is applied. I would, um, I would just bring this one scripture up just because it's so, it, I think it so dynamically makes this point in Galatians 5.1. It says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to the yoke of slavery. Notice he didn't say to the angels, make sure they're not messed up again in those bondages they were messed up. He says it to the person that was set free. Keep your freedom. Do not be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. You see, when you were entangled in the yoke of bondage, it's because you were weak. You had no resistance against that bondage. But when Jesus Christ became Lord of your life, no matter how big the power was that bound you and put you under its weight, you're still, even as a Christian, weak and small. That may be your Achilles heel, but you have something better than power. You have authority. And if you use that authority, you could throw that oppression right off of you. As Jesus' ambassadors, we must look at ourselves as the installation of the kingdom of God in this world and fight off every effort of Satan to lure you out from under that chain of command. Keep yourself under Jesus' authority, and guess what? You'll then have authority with which you can help other people. 
So all right, how do we do this? This was the first point that we wanted to make, the chain of command. How do we <coughs> exercise this authority? Two points. Number one, learn God's word for yourself. It's about you. Learn it. This is your life. Ingest it, learn it, and renew your mind so that it directs your life. Number two, conduct your life as one who wears the uniform of the kingdom. Clothe your mind with that. You know how when you see uh, um, soldiers getting off the airplane, uh, returning from the theater, uh, people see that uniform, it elicits a reaction. There's a respect for the uniform. You wear the uniform of the kingdom. Arm yourself, clothe yourself with that mentality. Realize that you carry that, that uniform and it'll make you act different. It'll make you think different. Don't tolerate Satan. Don't tolerate him. You don't have to. Do not tolerate the devil. Listen, and I don't say this to be judgmental towards anybody because I'm saying it to myself. But my gosh, if I had a dollar for every Christian wine, I don't mean W-I-N, I mean W-H-I-N, whining the devil's after me. And I don't want to minimize the trials. I understand we've got trials. But if we knew, if we looked in the mirror and saw the uniform, if we understood our position, we could, we could, we could, <laughs> We could buy the state of Florida if we had a dollar for every time Christians whine instead of exercise their authority. I think, I think we're waiting till we feel strong rather than knowing that we have an authority that makes us strong. All right, I've got to move on. Number two, the second point that I made that I want to um, bring before us today is prayer. Prayer is the altar of authority. Prayer is the altar of authority. What that means is you learn how to use your authority at the altar in the school of prayer. I can teach you all kinds of stuff. You can get on uh, YouTube. You can check out all these great pastors and prophets and teachers and people and learn all sorts of things. But until you go to your altar, develop a prayer life, live at that altar, until you go to the school of prayer in your own life, you're not going to understand what authority you have in your life and how to use it. In Acts chapter 4, we got a beautiful collective example of this as the people collect together and pray in Acts 4, 39, uh, 29 through 31. Uh, the, the church is young. Uh, Peter and, and John, the apostles, have been out preaching, and they've been threatened, and they're getting persecuted, and so they come together. What do they do? They don't have a strategy meeting. They sit down with the Father, and they begin to pray. They lift their voices. They're all praying. I love that. They're all praying. They're all lifting up their voices, praying, and then as the Spirit's moving, certain ones are just prophetically praying and really lifting up prayer. And this is a little excerpt from that meeting as they're bringing this social condition of the new church invading a secular world and a religious world. This is their prayer. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant to your servants that with boldness they may speak your word. Notice they're not saying, Lord, make them stop. They're not praying that the, that the pressure stop. They're not praying the oppression stop. They're praying, help us fight back. Amen. So, Lord, grant your servants that with boldness they may speak your word by stretching forth your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of your holy servant Jesus. Now when they had prayed this, the place was shaken. And it's not because God was angry. The place was shaken where they were assembled together and they were all filled, and I would say again, with the Holy Ghost and they spoke the word of God with boldness. If you go on and read the rest of the chapter and following after that, it's just signs and wonders and miracles and bold preaching and people getting saved and Lord adding to the church. I mean, that's what the church should look like. But notice the authority at the altar of prayer. It's at the altar of prayer that they learn about their authority, and it's in prayer that they're exercising that authority. So here's, here's what I want to say about that. 
take everything, everything to the altar. We complain about a lot of things. Matter of fact, we make lunch dates so we can get together with, with a fellow complainer so we can tell them all about, you know, you believe what happened to me. I went to the beauty shop and you know what they did to me? Look at what they did to my hair. And, or whatever it is, you know, my daughter, let me tell you about my daughter, you know, um, whatever the situation, we like to get together, complain. The Bible, hallelujah, I just need to keep going. Take everything to the altar of prayer, praying for the world around you. Now, it's great. You flip on Newsmax, you're getting, you know, the truth about what's going on in the world. I'm not the least bit hesitant to tell it like it is up in the pulpit. I think I got a job to do, so you won't be, you won't be getting that truth from CNN. You get it from Newsmax. Take everything to the altar. As you survey what's going on in the world around you, take it to God in prayer. You know, you're not doing anything complaining. Some marriages are based on mutual complaining. Take everything to the altar in prayer. Do it together as a couple. Begin to pray. And when you pray about this stuff, ask the Holy Spirit to give you His gifts and his bold assignments. You know why people aren't doing bold things for the Lord? They're not asking for them. God's looking for some initiative, folks. Ask God for his gifts and his bold assignments. And then when he gives them to you, do them. I've talked to more people who said, you know, I was in the service and the Holy Spirit was moving on me to do this, but I didn't do it. Well, why didn't you do it? Because I figured somebody else should do it. Well, see, it's not your job to figure. If God's given you something to do, do it. You're asking the Lord to use you. Now he's showing you what he wants you to do. Do it. Far too many Christians have let the world pressure them into retiring their authority. And they've stopped asking the Holy Spirit for his gifts and for his assignments. We should be asking. The Bible says desire the best gifts. We should be asking God for assignments. When we look at what's happening in the world, why aren't we saying, Lord, show me what I can do about this? Instead of, Lord, do something about this. See, you're what God's doing about this. Amen. So, too many Christians, they're retiring their authority because they're letting the world pressure them. And they're, they've stopped asking for the gifts of the Spirit. They've stopped asking for bold assignments. And, but yet they keep asking God, what do you want me to do? Pastor, pray for me. What, what does God want me to do? Instead of saying, instead of praying, Lord, if that's you, let me get out of the boat. I like the way Peter thinks. He didn't, they, he didn't stay with the rest of them in the boat saying, oh my God, that's Jesus. He's walking on the water. Peter immediately thinks, well, if that's Jesus, I bet I can get out of this boat and walk on the water to him. And so we ask, Lord, who came up with that? Peter came up with that. Jesus said, come on. And, and Jesus said, come. What do you think Peter was walking on? You say, well, he was walking on water. No, he wasn't. He was walking on a four-letter word, C-O-M-E. Permission to do what he asked God that he could do. So God is, is putting things in your imagination, in your mind. Take them and start materializing them. Start acting. Instead of praying, Lord, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? Tell God what you want to do. If he doesn't want you to do it, he'll let you know. But pray for the world and then think about what you can do. Bring it to God, and he will guide and tailor your prayer. So how do I do this second, this second thing? How do I use this authority? Well, number one, as a soldier in God's chain of command, make everything that's impacting your life a matter of dialogue and prayer before God. Start, start this week. Everything that happens to you, take it before God in prayer. If you're driving down the road and it happens, pray right then and there. Use your voice. Talk to God about it. Bring it before God and pray, because that's where your authority to deal with that situation is going to come from. The Lord will answer you, but not if you're not asking. Number two, when you're praying, take initiative and ask the Holy Spirit for his ideas. He's got great ideas. The Holy Spirit has wonderful ideas. We like to call them visions. The Lord gave me a vision. You know, we've got millions of Christians, and 10 of them have got a vision. 
The Holy Spirit wants to give each and every one of you visions. He wants to give you a vision of God using you to respond to the things that you care about, that you're seeing, that you're seeing out in the world. So when you're praying, take some initiative and ask the Holy Spirit, what are your ideas, Father? And then ask him for permission to do them. See, we, we see what needs to be done, but we see someone else doing it. Ask God if you can do it. If he doesn't want you to do it, he'll give you something else to do. But that's where you start. Okay, number three. The authority of salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, its strength, its quality, how can its saltiness be restored? It's good for nothing any longer but to be thrown out and trodden under the foot of men. Okay. <clears throat> Today, an antichrist insurgency claiming to have woke up is leading a vast multitude of people into insanity and darkness. Not it might happen, not it's threatening. We're in the middle of it. We're in the middle of it. We're not coming to the edge of the cliff. We've already gone over the edge of the cliff as a nation. I don't think the church has woke up and realized where they're at. Doesn't mean God can't put us back, but only he can do it, and he's not going to do it without you and I. So let's talk about the salt. These woke revolutionaries, they are demanding that you, the church, surrender your mission of salt. They're demanding it. They know that you're the salt, and they're demanding you give it up. They're not going to tolerate it in their schools. They're not going to tolerate it in their government. They're not going to tolerate it in their society. And if you keep backing down and backing up because you follow all the rules, you're going to surrender every piece of authority Jesus Christ has given you. They are demanding that you give up your salt in order that you remain favorable in society. They're offering you a position to stay favored in society. And if you're like me, I wouldn't take that deal. You could cut my limbs off. I'm not taking that deal. But to avoid being condemned by the new world order, many Christians are modifying God's commands that once offended sinners, and they're abandoning the salt and the cross that they once carried. They're laying it up. They're modifying it just so that they can be accepted because they think that being accepted in the world is how you get people saved. I, I don't know how to be more clear about it. Don't do it. And, and I'll give a good scriptural reason why you shouldn't do it. Apostate salt is going to be thrown out of the kingdom and trampled under the feet of men. All these huge churches, all of these Christians, all this, this whole, you know... Um, uh, accommodating the new world order, they're, they're going to be jettisoned. If they don't return to the boldness of the cross and the mission of salt, they're going to be trampled under the foot of men and cast out of the kingdom. Jesus planted his church in the heart of the world and he said, be the salt. Period. Be the salt. So what does that mean? It means Fight for what's good, and you know what else it means? Fight against what's evil. Now, a lot of Christians find that distasteful. They only like the peaceful side of Christianity. They have problems with the Jesus that said, I've come to bring division, and I've come to bring a sword, father against his son and mother against her daughter. What is that? Was that a shadow Jesus? Was that Jesus just speaking out of some crazy spiritual metaphorical vision he was having that really doesn't have any impact on us. No, he meant exactly what he said. Be the salt. Fight for what's good. Salt preserves what's good. What else does salt do? It impedes the process of rot. Amen. The Bible says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Amen. But rather reprove them. That is the functional value of salt. If you stop doing that, you're not salt. Do you understand what we're saying? Okay, so let me move on. How do we use this authority of salt? 
I've got three little suggestions for you. And by the way, let me just say, I'd be happy to text or email you this outline so that you can have these little pointers. So I'm sticking to the script this morning because I want to give it to you just straight and be able to send it to you if you want it to follow. So how do I use this authority? Number one, in your marriage, practice the highest form of selfless love and truth between you and your spouse. Period, dot, end of sentence. There's the greatest piece of marriage counseling you can ever have. If you do that, all your problems will go away. Practice the highest form of selfless love and truth. Might have been selfish love that attracted you to one another, but that love should have transitioned into the agape, selfless love. That'll, that's where you start. That's where you start. The salt is in the home. Secondly, among your children, be the authority of love and truth that your kids are going to need to overcome the world. Caving into your kids because you can't stand to see them unhappy. Holding back, resisting what you know is evil because they want it. You are throwing them to the wolves. You are abdicating and giving up on your responsibility to train up a child in the way that they should go. Now, they're going to deviate. They'll probably run off the reservation, go crazy for a while, but they'll be back. They'll be back. But not if you do not exercise the authority of love and truth. Love and truth in your home. Be that example. Let your, let your kids see you go down on your knees and repent when you blow it. You know? Authority isn't just bossing people around. Authority begins in the way you live and the example that you set before people. You can't expect obedience from your kids when they don't see obedience in you. And when you, when you break that obedience, they need to see you brokenhearted over it and, and bowing before the... They're not going to bow their knee to the Father if they don't see you bow your knee to the Father. That's how they learn. Bless my heart when I see the Dearmas kids getting on their knees, on their face before God. Why? Because they see their dad, mom do it all the time. Somebody say, praise the Lord. So, you know, we're dealing with your home, dealing with your kids out in the community. In your community, be the best, honest, courageous, faithful follower of Jesus that you can be. Be a courageous, faithful, and honest, wise, smart follower of Jesus that you could possibly be without altering his word to avoid offending people's sin. It's the price you pay to speak a word that sometimes is hard to speak. When a question's asked, answer that question. Honestly, no matter what it costs you. You can do it if you know that you're living as the example of Christ. So in your community, be that faithful follower of Jesus and speak no matter how weak you feel. Speak truth to people. Then you know what? You know how people get saved? The Bible says God added. God added. It's not your job to add people to the church. Probably shouldn't say that to you. but It's your job to go and present Jesus. But let the Holy Spirit deal with their hearts. Don't think they're going to come to Jesus because you didn't say anything they disliked. It's not going to follow you to church because you didn't challenge them. You don't want people following you to church unless the Holy Ghost is dealing with them. That's how some people get inoculated against the gospel. Is they came to church too early. They should have stayed away a little longer. They needed to ripen a bit. Do you understand what I'm saying? I, you know, I... You know my testimony, I was a hardcore atheist, never went into a church, never, never opened a Bible, never prayed once before I got saved one night in my bedroom alone. My first thought of God was my prayer to ask Jesus to save me. 
Um, but I have to say, since then, over the years, I've met tons of people who grew up in church, have been to church and everything, and they left, and they're never coming back. Not unless something dramatic happens. They're out. You know, they're out because they, 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 they prematurely ran in because they bought some sales incentives. See, people need to be convicted. And then they need to see the love of God. They need to see it in, in strong and, and, and honest Christians. Hallelujah. That's why Billy Graham was so successful. Praise God. All right, I got to go on. Number four, we got two more to go. Here we go with the grace. Number four, the authority of grace. Let me tell you what grace is. Grace is God's authority to overcome and be better. It's not permission to stay the same. It's the power to move on. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 12, the apostle Paul is explaining how that he had been attacked and oppressed by, by this particular demon, by devils, and he, he would go from city to city, trouble would break out, riots would break out. You know, other guys would come to town, they'd put up the marquee and everything, so-and-so's coming to speak and everything, the whole town would turn out. Paul comes, they riot, beat him up, throw him over the wall. He did not have a happy ministry. And uh, so he was going to God about it. And he was, he, was, he, was, he was going to the Father saying, Father, I would that this oppression depart from me. Now, this is probably one of the most misunderstood uh, sections in the New Testament. Because God says to him, each time he asks, my grace, what's grace? God's authority to overcome and be better. My grace is all you need. Now he's asking God to get the devil off his back. God says, my grace is all you need. My power works best in your weakness. So now, Paul goes on to say, I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Work is the operative word. Grace isn't there like a drug keeping you numb while you're oppressed so that you almost can half put up with it. Grace is there so you can work through it. Grace is not a drug, amen, it's not a drug to get you to put up with oppression. It's the power to break oppression in your life, hallelujah. Paul understood that Jesus wasn't saying, I'm not going to deliver you, so just accept it, and here's some grace to help you accept it. That is the worst teaching Christians have had, that have, I believe, have experienced years and sometimes lifetimes of unnecessary fruitlessness and oppression in their life because that's stuck somewhere in their head. God wants me to just kind of put up with this, and I'm clinging to his grace. Paul said, I am what I am by the grace of God, and grace working in me made me a better apostle than all the rest of them. Yet it wasn't me, it was grace working in me. Grace works against oppression. Grace changes situations. Somebody say praise the Lord. He understood Jesus wasn't saying, I don't want to deliver you from the oppression, just endure it. But God was calling Paul, use the grace. It's just like Moses, when Moses was standing at the Red Sea. And the Bible says he's, he's got the rod in his hand. There's, there's three million Jews at his back, the Egyptian chariots. And they're, they're looking at a massacre. And so he's standing at the Red Sea looking at it. And he starts crying out to God. Oh, God, please do something. Do, do something. We're, we're all about to be wiped out. God speaks to him. What does God say? Use the grace. He said literally, God prefaced what he said by saying, why are you crying out to me? Can you believe that? Oh my God, I went to prayer and God said, why are you praying to me? Use what I've given you. You've got the staff, stretch it out, use it. See, oftentimes God has already answered. Not that we shouldn't pray, but our prayer should direct us to what God has already put in our hand to do. That's what God was saying to Paul. Use the grace that I have given you. Most people have prayed and not seen their prayers answered, and so they retreat, and they're timid, 
And they're afraid to pray because they think, well, I'm not worthy of a miracle. I'm not worthy of this. I'm not worthy to exercise that authority. And that, nothing could be further from the truth. You're weak. God knows you're weak. You have propensities and idiosyncrasies and all kinds of other E's. God knows all about it. He knew it when he put his authority in you. He said, my authority, my grace will work best in your weakness. But in your weakness, remember what I've given you and who you are in me. Stay in the chain of command. Use it. Take up that rod. Stretch it over the sea. I'll do something when you do something. So how do I do that? How do, how do I use the authority of grace? Number one, I like this. With an intolerant spirit towards oppression. Intolerance is a huge word today. And the worst thing you can be in today's new woke world order is intolerant. Unless, of course, it's being intolerant of Christians or Jews or Asians or, you know, there's that selected, you know, you can be intolerant of the, the permissible targets of oppression. But the whole thing that people get beat over the head with is you are not tolerant. You are intolerant. As though being intolerant, being discriminating, was a flaw and evil. Being discriminating is a virtue. Matter of fact, for hundreds, thousands of years, being discriminating was a virtue, a moral virtue. The ability to discriminate between what's worthless and what's worthy. What's good and what's not good. What's wasteful and what's fruitful. That's called discriminating. It's, calling, it's called sorting things out. The only thing you're going to have if you're a non-discriminating person is you're just going to have a mess with no value. Nobody wants to drink milk that's soured. Nobody wants to take that milk and chuck it when it's been left out on the counter and made sour. That's what we need discrimination for. So how do we use this authority? With an intolerant spirit towards oppression. Be intolerant of oppression. Aggressively patrol your area of operation, your area of influence for demonic insurgencies. So there's the, there's the military uh, analogy again, Danny. Every one of us have been given an area of operation. Every one of us have been given a sphere of influence. That is your slice of the kingdom to patrol. That's your slice of the kingdom to patrol. I remember when I was 19 years old, the Lord called Kathy and I to leave our home here in Clearwater and go 1,500 miles away alone. Nobody knew we were going. Nobody knew we were coming except God and go up to New Haven, Connecticut, and plant a church. And I remember standing at night, oftentimes I'd wait till Kathy was asleep, get up, go out where the big picture window was. We were in the middle of the city, and I would just point out that window to the city. Sometimes I'd do 360 degrees, and I would, and we were right in the middle of Yale University, so pretty secular piece of real estate, and demand, demand that those spirits that oppose Christ. They'll demand those spirits of perversion. Bow their knee. Jesus is here. And I wasn't talking to myself. I was talking about Christ. But I knew God wanted to do a great work. And with an intolerance towards oppression, I knew I had an area of operation. I knew I had an area of influence. That was my area. And nobody else was going to pray over it. God sent me to pray over it. You see, ask yourself, what is my area of influence? Some of you have been complaining about your family, complaining about your job, complaining about all kinds of things in your life. That's you. That's yours. That's your area. Stop whining and complaining about it. Take authority. Nobody else is going to take authority over it. You do it. God has given you that authority. Bow your back with intolerance towards Satan, and the spirit that was in Jesus will rise up in you. Jesus took nothing off the devil. And he, didn't, he didn't get into big word 
plays with him. He just said, go. No. Little one word commands. And like lightning, boom, Satan would flee. The second thing I want to say before I share this last point is, jealously, jealously, use your kingdom authority to bind the enemy whenever you find him. Why do I say jealously? Because you are realizing I wear the uniform of the kingdom. I am an installation of the kingdom of God here in my area of operation. Don't let the devil diminish you. Don't see yourself as anything less. Be jealous of the area you've been sent to occupy. What do you think Jesus meant when he said, occupy till I come? Another military term, occupy, means you see the enemy step onto your territory, blast him. He comes to the door, open the door and shoot him. That's what that means. Occupy doesn't mean get along with everything and anything. It means have dominion. Take authority. Deal with it. All these poor young people out here and old people that have been, that have been hoodwinked by all the, the new religion, the new woke religion, they need Jesus. They could come to Jesus by tens of thousands. They're ripe, ready to come to Jesus. Somebody needs to deal with a demon that's got them by the throat. If that's your area of operation, deal with the devil. They can't deal with the devil. Rather than curse them, rather than be, rather than be offended or say, oh my God, what is wrong with them? What sin's wrong with them? Same thing that was wrong with you. Somebody probably prayed for you. That's probably why you're sitting here today. All right, so I'm going off the reservation a little bit. Praise God. But when you see the enemy challenge you, be jealous of your authority, exercise it, and deal with him. Number five, the final one is the baptism of authority. The baptism of authority is about using God's authority, but it requires God's power. You can use his authority but not without having his power to back you up. Jesus explicitly directed his church to use the authority of his name to preach the gospel. Remember Luke chapter 24? He said, this message will be proclaimed in the authority of my name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. This message that says there is forgiveness of sin for all who repent and you are witnesses. You are ambassadors. I am entrusting you with this message. This is your responsibility. You are my witnesses of these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit as my Father promised, but stay in the city until the Holy Ghost comes and fills you with power from heaven. Oh, don't get me started talking about the church today and where the church is when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the results of the baptism of the Spirit so desperately needed today. The only point I want to make is this. Jesus authorized us to use his name and then said, but before you do it, make sure you are filled with the Holy Ghost power. Don't go out there like the seven sons of Sceva throwing the name of Jesus around. Because you're going to get your clothes beat off of you and run out of the house. I don't want that. God's saying, I sent the Holy Ghost so you can have direction, you can have wisdom, and yes, you can have supernatural manifestation of the power of God moving in your life out in the street, wherever you happen to encounter the enemy. So the baptism of authority is us being sure every day we are freshly baptized in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. I, you know, I can't be more emphatic about it. Jesus has ordered us to be a body that he can operate through. Not just be a body that says praise the Lord and has a sign out in front of the church. He has ordered us to be a body he can operate through. What does operate mean? Well, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you get, a, you get nine point description. The manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone to profit with all. For to one is given tongues, interpretation of tongues, 
prophecy, word of wisdom, word of knowledge, discerning of spirits, gift of faith, working of miracles, and gifts of healings. Pretty much covers every manifestation of Jesus as he walked through those villages. That's God operating. It's God operating. So I, I want you to preach in my name, but I want you to let my spirit give you power so that when you use the authority, I'm operating through that authority. For so many years, preachers have preached that right out of Christians' minds. You can't have that. That's not for you. You're not supposed to. There's no, there's no longer even any desire because no one has any confidence that God wants to use them. My God, a dynamic, phenomenal, powerful life is waiting to happen to you. Come on, Bonnie. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Peace, all you that despise the anointing, for I'll be yet more vile. Man, 50 years ago, we used to sing that song, remember? Yes. Hallelujah. Can you imagine singing? I'll be yet more vile, said David to Michael. I'll be. <laughs> David's wife, when he danced before the Lord, said, how vile was the king? He said, honey, if you think I was vile today, wait till tomorrow. Amen. See, that's the attitude. Look, I got a whole of the Holy Ghost. I'm not going to give this up for you or for anybody else. I'm, and you're not going to make me ashamed of it. I'm not going to surrender it. Jesus paid the highest price to baptize us in the Holy Ghost. Why in the world will we let a preacher, teacher, a theologian, or anybody else talk us out of it? We need it in order to exercise the authority that Jesus has given us. So how do I, how do, I do this? How do I do this? Well... Ephesians 5, 18 and 19, and with this I'm closing. Be not drunk with wine. Now, why would you say don't be drunk with wine? See, when you get drunk with wine, you do things with courage that you normally don't have. Why do people go to bars and drink? Because they all of a sudden get tough. They all of a sudden get bold. They can go and pick up that man or pick up that woman that, you know, ordinarily they wouldn't have the confidence to talk to. So he's, he's saying, don't do that because when you get drunk, you're going to make a whole lot of mistakes. You're not going to do anything good for the kingdom. That's not the way. But this is the way. Stay filled. You know, it says, be filled with the Spirit. That word be, I think it also fits to say, stay filled with the Spirit. You read in the book of Acts, they had... Filling after filling after filling. They stayed filled. Praise the Lord. It's not like the old Pentecostals that said, bless God, I got filled with the Holy Ghost in 47. If anything changes, I'll let you know. Stay filled. Stay filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What in the world is a spiritual song? There's psalms, there's hymns. That kind of covers everything. What's a spiritual song? It's singing in the Spirit, singing in tongues. That devotional language that the Holy Spirit gives us to worship God. Listen, Paul said, I pray in tongues more than all of you guys. As he's laying out those, those guidelines for uh, speaking in tongues in public services and just blurting out in tongues and people going, there's a bunch of nuts in this place. You know, I'm not coming back here. So he's given guidelines so that what's good and useful and needful to the church doesn't get abused. And so in giving those guidelines, he says, now look, you guys, just, for, just so that you understand, I speak in tongues more than you. The apostle that wrote the deepest, heaviest, the smartest man in the room, smartest man in the room, you think that guy couldn't put a prayer together? You think the apostle Paul couldn't put a prayer together? That guy could pray, I guarantee you. He could pray. Why did he think he needed to pray in tongues? More than anybody else. We pray in tongues not just because we don't know what to say. We pray in tongues because we need the freedom of being able to say, Father, I'm praying for that school, those, that school board here in Pinellas County. I just lift that up to you. And, and you begin to shift gears and pray in the Spirit. The Bible says your spirit prays. And God knows what you're saying. And you're, you're interceding, uh, as it says, according to the will of God.
So be filled with the Spirit, singing psalms, singing hymns, singing in the Spirit, making melody from your heart to the Lord. Well, there's two pieces of advice. Number one, be or stay filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourself. You're not going to have a great relationship with God if you only have a prayer language on Sunday, uh, you know, a, a, an altar, a prayer time when you come to church. What's going on in your house? <laughs> What's going on in your own life? So speak to yourself. You are the, you're the deepest prophet you'll ever meet. Wow. You're the most powerful prophet you'll ever meet. When you speak to yourself, in the name of Jesus, it'll have more impact than anyone else speaking to you. Speak to yourself. Get in prayer. Begin to begin like, you know, to coach yourself up for the game. Speak to yourself. And then number two, my second piece of advice is speak among yourselves. Do it publicly. Come together. Pray publicly. This church really needs to improve in that area. I'm just going to say it right now. Um, you know, we got about a 10-second fuse. We need, to, we need to lengthen that prayer fuse a little bit. If, is it all right if I tell you that this morning? You know, I don't know what it is, but, you know, brr, about 10 seconds, and it just dies. When, when it's time to pray together, we should pray. We should bless the Lord. We should lift up our voice. We should praise God. We shouldn't be worrying about what's going to come next. Look, if you're messing up the program and the prayer's going too long, we'll shut it down. We'll, we'll say, hold on now. We've got to move on. Too much praying. I would love to have that problem. We used to have that problem in our church in Connecticut all the time. I'd have to stop them from praising worship. Look, i got to preach. It's, you know. Y'all just calm down. Sit down. We're going to preach now. I literally would have to do that. Yeah, it was great. It was wonderful. Hallelujah. Sometimes we just let it go. See where, see where we ended up. Speak among yourselves. Praise, worship God. Speak the word of God to one another. When we're together. Mutually edifying. Okay, that's it. I'm finished. Those are the little pieces of advice around the five points that I wanted to bring out about authority. Um, and like I said, I'll send this to you if you want it. You can have the text or the whatever. I can give you the outline in whatever form you'd like to have it. But right now, we are going to pray.